Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. Well, let's get right down to business today. I'm carrying on the series that began last week called The Blessing Lifestyle. And the blessed lifestyle is is all about finding an easy, natural, accessible way to share our faith that every single person can do. Whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, it doesn't matter. This is for you, and it's one of the most marvelous things that you find in Scripture, and that's literally where it is. And probably if you've been around the church long enough... I think we got this thing a little bit wrong about sharing the faith, and we intimidated people with it, and you've probably all heard the go ye therefore, if you're an old timer in the church, the go ye therefore sermon. How many of you have heard that one? And it's from Matthew 28, the Great Commission, and somebody will take it from the King James, and they'll go, go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples. And they stress the go ye therefore, and then they say, ye means, and you're supposed to say me, ye means me, and you need to go ye therefore. Now the problem with that sermon is it has the emphasis on the wrong syllable, in that that is not the imperative. The imperative, the command in that verse is to make disciples. And the go ye therefore is actually passive. And it's not go ye therefore at all. It is as you go. Make disciples. The command is to make disciples. The imperative is to make disciples. The the go part is, look, you're going anywhere. You're going somewhere. You're all going. So as you go, why don't you just make disciples along the way? That's a whole different emphasis, is it not? Aren't you saying that wrong? I sure am. That's intentional, right? And you know, let's face it. This old confrontational approach of accosting people with the gospel, it doesn't actually even work. So I have a story for you, one of my favorites. So a priest, a pastor, and a rabbi, no, they did not walk into a bar, but they used to meet every day or every week, rather, for coffee, and they were talking about the struggles of leading people, and and, and one day one brought up and said, boy, it's hard to make converts. Isn't it hard to make converts today? And one of them, who knows why he said this, but one of them says, well, you think people are hard to make converts? You should try making converts of a bear. They say, bear, why would I want to make a convert of bear? I'm just saying, it's really hard. You should try it. And so they got in this weird conversation, and they decided they were going to have a contest to see if one of them could convert a bear to their religion. So they said, each week, a different person will go out and try to convert. So, so the first week, the, the, the priest went out, and the next week he comes back, and he's got this huge scrape of four gashes down his face, and they went, whoa, what happened to you? He says, well, I went into the woods, and I found the bear, and I stood at a safe distance, and I read the catechism to him, but then I had to get close enough to sprinkle him with holy water, and I got this big gash in my face, but I got him sprinkled with holy water, and this week he's going to be serving as an ultra boy, (laughs) and they said, wow, that's impressive, so the next week, the pastor came back, and they said, wow, look at you, and he's on crutches, and he's got a broken leg and a broken arm, and he's covered in bandages, and they said, wow, what happened to you? He says, well, I found the bear in the woods, and I, I stood at a safe distance and preached the gospel to him. But then I had to get close enough to baptize him. And and so I got close enough. We started wrestling. And fortunately, we were on the side of a hill. And we rolled down the hill and through the rocks and through the trees and right into the river. And I baptized him. And this week, we're making him a deacon in the church. (laughs) Then the next week, they got a call from the hospital. 
And the, and the rabbi was in intensive care. And they ran down there to see him. And there he was. He was in traction and almost every bone in his body was broken. And he's completely bandaged up. And he's got his eyes sticking out two holes and his mouth sticking out another hole. And they said, whoa, what happened to you? He said, well, and he said it in a strained voice, of course. But he said, well, I stood at a, a safe distance and I read the bear of the Torah. But do you have any idea how hard it is to circumcise a bear? <laughs> Up until that punchline, you guys thought that was a true story, didn't you? So let's talk about this. We're going to talk about the blessed lifestyle. And we're saying that it's a lifestyle. It's not a program. It's not an evangelistic initiative. It is just a lifestyle. And it is an acrostic, B-L-E-S-S, and it stands for this. The B stands for begin with prayer. We talked about that last week. The L is listen with care. The E is eat together. The S is, is serve with love. And the final thing is the other S, and that is share your story. So last week it was begin with prayer. This week we're going to talk about listening with care. And so I want to start with one verse because I, I, I realize this. I don't think I've ever preached a message, a whole message on listening. And if I did, you weren't listening because you don't remember it. And so, so we're going to kind of dive into this and you'd be surprised how much the scripture actually talks about listening. And these are, are some of the most instructive words and they're from James, the brother of Jesus. And we're in James chapter 1. I'm going to read out of uh, the revised standard version. It's verse 19. This is what it says. It says, know this, my beloved brethren, every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Did you catch that? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And if we're really honest, we're actually quicker to speak than we are to hear. We're actually slow to listen. And we're kind of, that's the kind of last thing we do. And what we try to do is we try to get our point across. And here's what happens. I would say this, that 100% of conflicts in anything, no matter what it is, could be boiled down to the fact that people aren't listening. And what they're trying to do is trying to be heard. And they're speaking and they're trying to get the point across, but they're not actually listening to the other person. And what happens, and you've all been in one of those conversations, haven't you? Where you're both trying to get your point across and you're both trying to talk and neither of them is really listening to see or hear what the other person is saying. And then you get frustrated and then you get angry and then there's strife. And then in a global scale, you even have war. I mean, you can trace basically every conflict back to that same thing. Now, I want to tell you a story. Most of you that are old enough are going to remember this, this story, and it's kind of remarkable. And it's the story of Jimmy Carter. Now, many of you that are old, as I said, will remember that in 1976, Jimmy Carter became president of the United States. He was an unlikely president. I mean, he was a peanut farmer from Plains, Georgia. He became governor of, of Georgia, and then eventually he became president. Nobody thought he could ever possibly be president, but he did. And here was one of the most unique things about Jimmy Carter, that, that people who know the story know this, that he was an incredibly devout Christian. There was probably no more committed Christian in the White House than Jimmy Carter was. And I bet you don't know this part of the story, that he actually, he's actually in his late 90s, he's almost 100 years old, and he's written, are you ready? 30 books, count them, three zero, 30 books. And many of them have been on faith, including his last book, which was called... Faith by, by Jimmy Carter. And his belief was this, that he needed to take his faith into the public arena. And even though sometimes, uh, you know, people say that they're doing that, we don't see much evidence of that. And he really, truly did that. And one of the 
one of the mar- remarkable things that happened during his presidency was this. He only lasted one term, and there was a reason for it. In the final year of his presidency, 1980, starting in 1979, there was a hostage-taking in Tehran, Iran. And what had happened was these militants stormed the U.S. Embassy, and they took 52 people hostage for 444 days. It was a very long hostage-taking. And he had to deal with this, and this was his final year of, of being a president, and everybody thought he should bomb Iran. And he refused to do it. He just did not believe that was the answer to his problems. In fact, if you read his memoirs, he says this. He says, my greatest achievement as a president was I went four years, an entire term, without engaging in war, dropping a bomb, or firing a single bullet. And not very many presidents would be able to say that, but Jimmy Carter was able to say that. And so then consequently what happened, because they were still uh, hostages, and of course there was a lot of anxiety in the U.S., and because the hostages were not freed, by the time the 1980 election came along, he lost, and of course Ronald Reagan became president. But on Inauguration Day, Ronald Reagan's Inauguration Day, Jimmy Carter had managed to free the hostages, and all 52 came home absolutely safe. So it's an interesting part of the story. But that's not really his claim to fame. His claim to fame was what happened in 1978 with the Camp David Accords. And this is where I'm going with this. So, so uh, you'll remember that uh, Egypt and Israel have been at war for a very long time. I think if you wanted to be really specific, back to the pharaohs. <laughs> Perhaps almost 4,000 years, these two countries have been duking it out. But in the 70s, it was actually Egypt that was leading the Arabs against Israel. And uh, in 1973, there was a Yom Kippur War where Egypt and the Arabs attacked Israel on their most holy day on Yom Kippur. And so the tension in the Middle East during the 70s was palpable. And in fact, they were really at the brink of nuclear war. And Jimmy Carter in 1978 decided he was going to use his considerable relational skills to try to solve this problem. And nobody thought he could. And what he did was he managed to get the two presidents of these countries, Anwar Sadat of Egypt and Menachem Begin of Israel, and he got them together at Camp David. Camp David being the presidential retreat. And what he did was he sat them down and with no kind of time limit on how long they would be there. And he moderated a conversation and his goal was this. He wanted them to hear one another's hearts. And he wanted to get them to this place where they actually began to understand their enemy and maybe even develop a relationship. Twelve days he had them in there. Now, we don't know exactly what was said because they, they were private talks, but we know this, that what he did was he tried to get them to seek to understand one another. On the 13th day, they emerged, not only with a peace accord, but as friends. And here's the picture on the day they emerged from Camp David. You can see Jimmy Carter is smiling. You see these two men shaking hands and they would embrace. And, and they had a peace accord. And, and uh, Egypt was the first Arab nation in history to ever acknowledge Israel as a bona fide country or as a state. And here's the, the most amazing part of this story. So that was 25 some years ago. And that peace accord is still in effect, and they are actually allies today and did not go back to war. So it was an amazing accomplishment, and the two men, Menachem Begin and Anwar Sadat, went on the next year to win jointly the Nobel Peace Prize. 
This is two men that were sworn enemies that many people thought were terrorists, and they won, win the Nobel Peace Prize. Interestingly enough was the uh, Nobel people actually awarded Jimmy Carter the prize in 2002, so may, maybe, and I think he should have uh, got it. And so when you look at this story, this is the power of listening. And I'm convinced that there is no problem in this world, literally, that listening could not solve. So what I want to do today is I want to give you a couple of tips on, on the benefits of listening and why it works. And so I'm going to throw them up on the screen. And so here's the four things. Just go through it real quickly. Number one, when you start to listen, it creates an environment for dialogue, meaning both ways. You're not just yelling and arguing at each other. You actually create this environment for dialogue. Number two, it produces empathy. Empathy is the secret sauce, by the way, to listening. And what that means is you have to seek to understand before you seek to be understood. And empathy is not the same as sympathy. Sympathy literally means to understand and to know what it would be like to be in that other person's shoes. That's what empathy is. Number three, it develops trust. And number four, it leads to genuine relationship. If we could figure out this listening thing, I think it would revolutionize our life. I think it would fix our marriages, fix our family, fix our relationships, fix our workplace. It is so important to us, and, and, and we, we look at it and we think, well, you know, I think it's important to get my viewpoint out. No, it's actually more important for us to listen to other people's viewpoint because it does these things that, that, that I, I just mentioned here and creates this environment that can change everything. And we think that Jesus didn't talk about listening. In fact, he talked about it all the time. And his shortest sermon, and one of his most powerful and one of his most famous sermons, was on listening. And it was a sermon in Luke 8 that was just really short. He only said one thing in the whole sermon, and he told the parable of the sower. And he talks about a farmer who goes out and sows the seed, and some seed landed on the roadway, and some on rocky soil, and some on weedy soil, and one on good soil, and only the one on good soil, only one out of the four actually bore any fruit. And that was the whole parable, that end, and he walked away. His, his disciples came to, his, to him later and said, we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what was that? But the end of the parable says this. This is how he concluded it. He says, let he who has an ear hear. Let he who has an ear hear. Well, we all have ears, so what's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that he who has an ear listen to what is being said. And I love what Eugene Peterson, when he translated it in the message, some of you know the message translation, he says this, and Jesus concluded saying, are you listening? Are you really listening? And you see, there's a big difference between hearing and listening. See, hearing is the physical act of hearing words in your ear. Listening is the relational act of understanding what that person is trying to say. Every married man in this room knows what I'm talking about. Because you can always hear your wife, but you're not always listening. You know, you know what I'm talking about, and that's why you, know, you, you realize you're not listening, so you just smile or you laugh and you, and you hope it's not a question, right? I mean, that's, what, that, that, that's how I handle it. I, I love this, I gotta show you this little, this little one, this little quip, look at this. You never listen to me. You only hear what you wanna hear. Sure, I'll have another beer. <laughs> So when it, comes to, when it comes to listening, I think we, we have a whole lot that we have to learn, and we've got to get somewhere with this. And, and I have a question for you. What do you think God had in mind when he made mankind and he gave him two ears and only one mouth? 
<laughs> Do you think, is there any math in that maybe? Maybe we're supposed to listen twice as much as we talk. I, I, I'm not sure about that. And you know, we all have these ears and are we really using them? It's, it's like the story of this, this poor CEO of this big company. He was in a tragic accident, lost both his ears. And he's really self-conscious about having no ears. And he was doing an interview. He's trying to hire an executive as a VP. And uh, so he invited the first interviewee in. And he says to him, sets him up, and he says to him, do you notice anything different about me? And the guy says, yeah, you got no ears. And he's offended by this, and he says, yeah, that's the last thing I need to hear from you. You don't get the job. And the second guy came in, he says, do you notice anything different about me? And he says, yeah, you have no ears. And so he kicks him to the curb. He doesn't want him either. And the third guy comes in, he says, do you notice anything different about me? And the guy says, yes, I notice you wear contact lenses. He said, good for you. How'd you know I wear contact lenses? He says, well, you can't wear glasses. You've got no ruddy ears. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a true story either. (laughs) Here's the thing about listening. Listening is a skill. It is a skill. And it's not taught anywhere. Those of you that went to university, did they teach you listening in university? Did they teach you listening in school? Did they teach you listening anywhere? They don't. Business schools don't teach listening. They certainly don't teach it in seminary. You know what they teach you to do in seminary? Yeah, yeah, talk. Guess what I do for a living? Yeah, people want me to listen, but, you know, <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather talk, right? But let me ask you this question. I'm going to be a little mean here for a moment, if you don't mind. Uh, how, how many of you know one of these people? that honestly doesn't know when to shut up. They just never stop talking. How many of you know it's one of those people? How many of you are one of those people? <laughs> wow, there's so few of you that are willing to admit it. I'm willing to admit it. I'm one of those people. And I'll tell you something. You all know one of those people. You all do. And they are seriously the most annoying people in your life. And even if they're your friend, you can only take them in small doses. Am I right? Because they don't ask about you, they don't care about you, they don't listen to you, they never shut up, they just talk, 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 you're getting a little bit of it right now, and you think, oh, I can't take it anymore. And they don't even realize what they are doing. You know, I, I, this, I shouldn't tell on this guy, but I'm going to. So I had this young pastor, he phoned me up one day. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't really met him. I'd seen him once. And he phoned me up and he said, Pastor Mark, I'd really like to get together with you for lunch. Would you let me buy you lunch? And I said, well, what do you, what do you want to talk about? And, uh, you know, I don't have a ton of time, but he wanted to get together. He says, I want to get to know you. I want to listen to your heart. I want to find out, you know, how I can be a better pastor. And I thought, you know, if I can help some young guy do better in ministry, why wouldn't I take the time to do that? So I said, okay, and I agreed. So we went down, we sat down for lunch, and he literally talked for an hour without taking a breath. Never asked a question, never asked anything about me, never asked anything about ministry. He just told me what he was doing and what his vision was, and he didn't even take a breath, didn't have any opportunity. And so I just sat there and I listened to him for a whole hour. And then we got up, and I went to my car, and I was just about to get my car, and then he shouts, he says, oh, I have one more thing. If you have any advice for me, what would be your advice? And I said, okay, I have some advice for you. You talk too much. (laughs) I said, I'm not trying to be mean, but if you're going to succeed in this business, you're going to have to learn to shut up. You never stop talking. You've got to learn to listen. If you're going to be in ministry, you've got to learn how to listen. And see, listening is such an important skill. If we don't begin to listen, all of those things don't happen. We don't connect with hearts and we don't build trust and we don't develop relationship. 
And, and I know about this point, you're looking at me and you're thinking, shame on you, Pastor Mark. You're about the least qualified person in the world to teach on listening. And I will accept that. I will wear that. I'm okay with that. But I'm good at studying, so I, this is all theoretical for me. But I want to I talk to you about, for a minute about why it is so difficult for some people to be good listeners. And I'm going to make a bit of an excuse for them. And we now know this, and you've probably seen this, that there's three types of learners. I'll throw it up on the screen, and you're probably all familiar with this. They say people learn one of three ways. They're either visual learners, auditory learners, or tactile, sometimes called kinesthetic leaders. And, and it works like this. The, the, the visual learners learn by seeing stuff. The audio, obviously, by hearing stuff, and the tactile by doing stuff. And as I go through this, I want you to imagine for a moment and see if you can identify yourself in which one of these three, because not everybody knows. So the visual learner is the type of person that has to see something. Uh, they have to read it, they have to see it, they have to visualize it, and if they hear it, they, they probably are not going to learn that way. And I am one of those people. I am a visual learner. I have to see everything. And if I hear something, particularly if I hear a name, I have a, such a hard time with names. And you say, well, you remember a lot of names. I have to visualize their name. If somebody says to me, my name is Judy, I print Judy on top of their forehead while I'm looking at them. And if I can see J-U-D-Y, I can remember that name. But if they come, and, and my apologies to the Nigerians in the room, I have a lot of trouble, just too many syllables, and I can't write it on your forehead. And so, you know, I have, I have a, unless it rhymes, if it rhymes, I can remember it. Like, add a bio, add a dial, that I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> He's on camera right now. <laughs> and his cousin, out of dial, out of bio, I remember him as well. <laughs> But for the most part, I have a hard time with, with this because I actually can't, I literally can't follow our oral discussion. I do not listen to podcasts. I know this sounds really strange to me. and say, Pastor Mark, well, how do you do what you do? I'm how, I'll tell you what, I am such a visual. You say, Pastor Mark, you don't even use your notes. I don't need my notes because I can see them. I'm on page two right now, by the way. <laughs> I, can, I literally can see them. You thought I was brilliant. I'm not that brilliant. <laughs> I'm not that brilliant. I can just see things, but I can't hear things. And this is a true story. It's going to make me seem really dense. And so, so when I have a voicemail, the voicemail is the worst thing for me. I have to listen to it over and over again to catch their names. And if they leave me a phone number, Lord help me. There is no way I can follow 10-digit phone number. And I have to pause it and replay it. 204, I write it down, 204. And I play it again, 269, 269, I write it down again. So one day, this is a true story, one day I have this voicemail and someone rattles off their name, tells me to call them back, and then they give me their phone number and they went something like this. 204-269-5634, 204-269-5634. And so I slowly wrote them all down and I had 20, 20 numbers. <laughs> I thought, what, what, what kind of a phone number is this? I can't phone this person back. There's, there's 20 numbers. And, and so I said, Dwayne. Dwayne was in the next office. I said, Dwayne, get, get in here. Some person left me this voicemail, and their phone number is 20 digits long. And Dwayne looked at me and said, seriously? It's, listen to it. it. He was repeating it. You all got it. You all got it. He said, he repeated it twice. That's what, I thought, oh. <laughs> And so, you know, the visual learners, they're, they're, they're an interesting bunch of people. Now, then there's the auditory learners, and if they hear it, they get it. 
And I'll tell you who is the, the most extraordinary auditory learner I know. And it's actually our worship leader, Derek. Which makes sense because he is a musician. He's supposed to know how to keep time and the beat and all that stuff. And he has to do that all in his head. And he can hear it, hear it, hear it. But here's what's interesting about him. He can't even read. <laughs> I, don't think he's ever, I don't think he's ever read a book. And, oh, no, that's not true. He read three books. They were all mine and I paid him to do it. <laughs> I remember them sitting on his desk, or at least he said he was reading. And, uh, and, and I'll tell you something. We'll be sitting in the meeting, and I know I'm selling on Derek here, and I apologize for that. Well, not really. But, but I'll hand out notes at this meeting, and he has literally sat in a meeting with his notes upside down for the entire meeting and did not notice. And I say, well, are you following along? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, I'm following along. But let me tell you something. This is how crazy this is. Uh, that he will oftentimes, we'll be talking about something, and he'll quote back to me something I said in a meeting 10 years ago. Because he's an auditory learner, and he heard it, and he remembered it, and I can't do that to save my life. Then there's the tactile learners. Now, these are people who do stuff by, or learn stuff by actually doing it. They have to physically do it. And since I'm picking on staff, I'm going to pick on Pastor Dwayne. Pretty sure Pastor Drain out in Neverville has never read a book either, and, including my own, <laughs> because that's not how he learns. He is a, he's, a, he's one of these guys that has to do it. So I'm going to tell this story on him, and it's going to embarrass him, but I don't care. And so, so last year, he went out and, and bought a boat. And so here's what most people do. When they go out to a new lake, what they do, this is what a normal person would do. They would get a marine chart, and you would see where the rocks are. You would actually look and read the map of the chart and see where the rocks were. But see, he's a tactile learner, so he has to, he has to learn by experiencing it. So he went out, on in his first week, he found the first rock with the bottom of his boat. And he decided he was going to learn the lake one rock at a time. And so then he... <laughs> And so then he phones me up. He's all distressed because he's knocked the skeg clear off the bottom of his motor. And so he says, can you, can you come and show me how, how to take the, the lower end off so I can get it welded? Now, I could have told him how to do it. That's going to help. Not going to help. I could have sent him a picture. That's not going to help. I had to go down and show him. So I went down to his garage and I showed him how to take it off. And I knew if I showed him once and he helped me with it, he'd be able to do it again, which he did. The next week, when he hit another rock, <laughs> true story, true story. <laughs> so some people have to learn by doing. So let me ask you a question. Let me circle around to this. How many as I went through that, you identified what kind of learner you are? How many of you are visual learners like moi? Bunch of, how many auditory learners you can hear it, you can understand? How many need to do it? How many of you need to hit the rock on the bottom of the lake? Okay. <laughs> So that gives you a little bit of a snapshot of this. And so now that we have sort of discovered that, uh, what we want to do is we want to talk about active listening. Because you've probably heard this term, counselors use it, and there's listening and then there's active listening. And there's more steps to it, but I want to give you three quick steps in this. So let's throw it up on the screen. And so here's how you, how you really listen. If you really care and you want to learn, and uh, number one is you, you need to pay attention. You know why that's so hard today? Why people have hard, such a hard time paying attention? Because they're looking at their phone. <laughs> and don't tell me that you're listening if you're looking at your phone. Because you are not. 
and you might hear what's you might hear words in the background but you are not listening and if you're going to pay attention you have to make eye contact with people you have to listen you have to actually concentrate on what they're saying the second thing is that you need to withhold judgment see when someone starts talking you go well, well but, but but no or here's why that won't work that's that's judging them and what you have to do is you have to suspend your right to be right and the, one of the challenges in conversation is we, we always want to be right and I've learned a secret about marriage you, you have to make a choice. You can either be right or be happy, but you can't be both, right? So <laughs> make your choice of that. And then, and then the third thing is this. You need to seek to understand before you seek to be understood. So that's what a good listener is. A, a good listener isn't someone who tries to get their point across right away. A good listener is somebody who actually seeks to hear the other person's viewpoint first. And then you can get involved in the dialogue, but now you at least know what you're talking about. So I want to tell you a story I've probably never t- told you in, in church. Some of you may have heard it, but I've never told it here. And it's, it's really quite a remarkable story. So we all know lots about the Freedom Convoy uh, back a couple of years ago in Ottawa and the truckers going there and closing down the city. And, and of course, the trial that ensued as a result of that, all that stuff. And you may have some strong opinions on that. And that's not really my point here. Uh, but there was also a Manitoba version of the Freedom Convoy. And it happened right here in the city of Winnipeg. Here's a picture of it. It was on Memorial Boulevard. The truckers came in and some other people, and they shut down that portion of the street. And uh, they kind of camped there, and they lived there for uh, days and days and days. And finally, the, the police got sick of it, and they had decided they were going to move in on Monday morning, and they were going to clear them out forcibly. And so this could potentially have become quite ugly. And at that point, I actually wasn't sure what I thought about it. I hadn't had an opinion on it. I was just kind of watching this. People say, what do you think of the Freedom Convoy? And I go, you know, I sort of see their point. And I, and I, you know, I see both, sort, of, sort of see both sides of this. And I didn't have a, a really strong opinion one way or another. But then I got a phone call. And the Winnipeg Police Services actually called and said they were planning on closing this thing down on Monday and they would rather resolve it a different way and so they asked two pastors, myself and Ron McLean, my friend, and they said, would you go down there and would you speak to these people and would you see if you could bring some resolution? I thought, you've got to be kidding. I don't know these people. I don't know anything about them. I don't even know why they're there exactly. I haven't talked to them. And they said, it's a last ditch effort. We know some of those people respect the, the two of you. And why don't you do that? So I, we did exactly that. I remember it was a January day. It was as cold as blazes. It was like 30 below and it was snowy and, and, and windy. And, and the two of us went down there. We didn't know who we were going to meet. We didn't even know what, where we were going to meet. And let me show that picture again. I'll tell you where we went. And so if you look there, if you, if you see that, uh, that Métis flag there on the front of the vehicle, that, that was their headquarters. And that was this motor home, and it was the only place that was actually heated. So we were so glad that that's where the meeting was. Eventually, we figured that out. We went in there. I was sitting in this group of people. They were all around us, about eight or ten people, or twelve people, sitting around. And we looked at them. I didn't know any of these people. I'd never met any of these people. I wasn't even sure who was in charge. I don't even actually think there was a leader. It was just this group of people that had come together in this common cause. So I had no idea what to say. So I just said to them, why don't you tell me your story? Why don't you tell me why you're here? And we just went around the circle, and each one of these people spoke, and we just sat there, Ron and I, and listened for an hour. And we, were, we heard the most heart-wrenching stories you could possibly imagine. 
And what, it, what I discovered was every single one of those people had been personally affected and personally touched in a significant way by the vaccine mandates. And that's why they were there. And one had lost a job, another one business went broke, and another one had lost some contracts, and another one had this, this you know, huge falling out with some people. And the, the most tragic story was there was a funeral director there. I said, why are you here? And he told this story about a, a, a funeral he had done just that, that Christmas. And he said there was a young man, and he want, phoned his parents, and he wanted to go for Christmas to be with his parents. And they said, you can't come because you're not vaccinated. And they told me he couldn't come for Christmas Day. And he took his life, committed suicide that night. And then he said, and I did the funeral the next week. And nobody came to this funeral. The very family didn't come to this funeral. And he told me this story. And there was tears in my eyes as people were telling these stories. And, and I realized that, that these people had experienced a lot of personal pain. And they were there for, for a reason. So we just listened. We didn't, we didn't, honestly, we didn't do a darn thing. And then what happened was, at the very end of this, they turned to us and they said, so tell us, what should we do? They asked us, what should we do? We don't know what to do. We're stuck here. We don't know what to do. And so we spoke up and we said, you know, yesterday the, the premier has lifted the mandates. And so here's what I would do. I would uh, go to the press. I would declare victory. I would thank the premier and I would go home. And they said, okay, well, we'll think about that. And we left. Prayed for them and we left. On Monday... Guess what they did? They declared victory, they thanked the premier, and they went home. They packed up, went home, the police didn't move in. And, and I remember thinking about that, and I thought, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. And all I did was listen. All we did was listen. All we did was seek to understand. We didn't come and impose some viewpoint on them. We listened to them first, but what, did, what happened? We actually built trust and built relationship with these people, and they felt that, that we, they could trust us, and they thought, who better to ask? We'll ask these people who actually care about what we're doing. And the big problem with the, the, the convoy, in my estimation, was nobody went and sat down with them and talked with them, the one in Ottawa. Nobody went down and said, what, what, what do you need from us? What can we do? How can we help? And you see, it's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. And I want to circle around to the, to the gospel on this because you say, what has this got to do with, uh, with sharing the gospel? Everything. It's about establishing empathy and establishing relationship and establishing trust with people. And everything changes. And you know, here's what's interesting about Jesus. Was, uh, you know, we, we know that Jesus went and preached the gospel. That was true. And he went and had crowds of people and he kind of just wholesale preached the gospel and, and sort of let everybody have it. But we, we rarely look at what he did on an individual basis. And if you watch Jesus in the scriptures, you find he actually went and listened before he ever talked. Think about it. I'll, I'll just give you three quick examples. They're in three uh, corresponding chapters in the book of John. So in John chapter 3, you have a man by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus because he's a ruler of the Jews and he comes at night so no one will see him. And he comes in and he's got a series of questions. Now, you can read the whole, the whole story in, in 12 seconds. But you know if he came at night, the meeting wasn't 12 seconds long. You know that that is the summary, that is the headline of what actually happened in half an hour or an hour or however much of time he spent with Jesus. And he had these questions about who he was. And he says, you know, nobody can do these things unless he's from God. And he had this intellectual question. The intellectual question is, like, who are you exactly? I need to know who you are. And then Jesus gives them this answer and says, you must be born again. And somehow, and I don't actually totally understand this, but somehow that was the answer he needed to hear. 
And that was the answer that, that took him. And see, here's what's fascinating. Jesus never tells another soul ever in the Gospels that they must be born again. We have evangelists running around telling everybody, you must be born again, and you must be born again, and you must be born again. And theologically, that's true. But it's not a good answer if you don't know what the question is. Jesus gave him the answer that he needed to hear. It was custom tailored to him. So that's John chapter 3. You go into John chapter 4, and you find Jesus. He's in Samaria, and he's at the well. And there's a woman there. She's a woman of ill repute because she's had five husbands and was living with a a guy. And she's gathering water in the middle of the day because of the shame she lives with every single day. And she doesn't want to show up where the other women are there gathering water in the morning. So Jesus enters into this conversation with her. And you all know this story. And he listens carefully to her. And he discovers where she is in life and why. And he says to her, if you would follow me, I will give you living water and you will thirst no more. Jesus never said that to a single other person, but that meant everything to her because she was gathering water, and her problem, her issue, was not intellectual. It was emotional. She was there in her hurt and her pain and her shame, and Jesus came and ministered to her specifically. And then you go into John chapter 5, and there's the man at the pool of Bethesda, and he's been there 38 years, and he's been lame. And Jesus shows up and says, So what's your deal? He says, my deal is I'm lying here lame and whenever the angel comes and stirs the water, not sure that part of the story is actually true, but but that's what he thought. He says, when the angel comes and stirs the water and somebody goes in, they get healed and I have no one to carry me into the water. So Jesus realizes, and don't miss this, that this person's need is not intellectual, it's not emotional, it's physical. He needs healing, right? So Jesus heals this man. And then he's running around and he's healed and leaping and rejoicing and people are all seeing him healed. And Jesus goes and finds him in the temple. And he says, oh, by the way, one more thing. Go your way and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And so his physical problem was somehow connected to his spiritual problem. And Jesus said, look, you've got to stop sinning, man. And that's what he told him to do. And so what he did was he custom tailored the gospel to every unique situation of the people. And the reason and the way he did that was he first listened. So let me just close one quick final story here. So there's a man in Sydney, Australia. His name is Don Ritchie. And he lives right across uh, uh, Sydney Harbor from a place called The Gap. I'll show you a picture of it. And here it is. It's, it's The Gap. It's spectacular. And if you look there, you can see that walkway. There's a walkway. There's a fence. And thousands of people come every year to stand there and look and gaze at this, his, this beautiful view. And, and, and Don Ritchie lives right across the street, right across the street from there. And he can see these people gathering there. And he's lived there for over 50 years now. And he has a mission. And I'll tell you what his mission is. This is the number one place in all of Australia that people come to commit suicide. And one day a week, someone will come and they will cross over that fence and they will leap to their death. And it's so so convenient. I mean, there's free parking there and everything. I mean, it's very convenient for for people to come. And all they have to do is step over that fence and they go. And and, and he decided he was going to make it his mission to stop as many people as he could, to save as many people as he could. And so he sits there drinking tea and looking out his window. And if he sees someone cross over that fence, he knows what's going on. And he doesn't walk. He rushes out there. And he says, hey, how are you doing today? And he just interrupts them. People don't like to be interrupted when this is happening, and they rarely jump to their death when somebody uh, has come and is is in their face. And he says, hey, how are you doing today? And, and, you know, enters into this quick conversation. He says, you know what? i got a pot of tea on. Why don't you come in? We'll have a pot of tea. 
And these people will oftentimes, more often than not, will come in and, and sit down with them. And then he'll say to them, so tell me your story. Just tell me your story. And they'll sit there and they'll talk. And here's what's fascinating about this. He doesn't counsel. He doesn't give them advice. He doesn't talk them out of jumping. He just listens, listens to them. And they say that he has prevented and saved over 500 people from taking their lives and jumping off that cliff. All because he had a listening ear. So James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's the secret to the gospel. Let's stand together, shall we? So I want you to take a moment and uh, just bow your heads with me, if you would, and close your eyes. And uh, I know that there are people here that were listening to all those stories and listening to all that. And you're not here by accident. You're here because of a divine appointment. and You're here because God has led you here. And I have a question for you if you're one of these people in the room and you've never invited Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And I've talked about that a little bit today. And I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to ask you to say anything publicly. But you're standing there and you're going, I need that relationship with Jesus. This Jesus guy sounds like what I need to bring peace in my soul. And so if that's you today, with nobody looking around, and you'd like to make that decision, I want you to slip up your hand so I can see it. I'm not going to single you out. Nobody's looking around. Not calling you for Is there anybody this morning that would say yes to that and agree to that? Yes, I see people popping their hands up. Thank you. Not going to embarrass you in any way. Thank you. All right, you can, you can all put your hands down. And if people are online, you can do the same by just clicking that little icon on your screen with the hand. And so we're going to say this prayer together because I said I wouldn't single anybody out. So, so let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the work of the cross. You came for me. Uniquely for me. If I was the only one in the world, you would have still come for me. And you died on the cross for my sins. You rose again on the third day. And you forever live to be my Lord. Old things have passed away. Everything's become new. Today I'm a Christian. And I'm on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big shout, shall we? Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app. 